as almost everyone in this room knows, I am Elaine Wright. <laughs> and for those who don't, now you do. And to start the presentation tonight, I wanted to read to you the presentation description to kind of frame the conversation. Filled with stamps and stickers, a person's passport is a diary of destinations across borders and adventures in foreign cultures. And we have some song. That's good. We're going to have more song. Traveling the world as a social worker is also about meeting people where they are, in their homes, on the streets, in faraway villages, at nearby city centers, and even on the side of a volcano. It's quite a teaser. And as promised, I will share tales and tips from my journeys teaching, studying, researching, consulting, and practicing social work around the world. And first things first, I want to do a big thank you to the Davis County Public Library, especially Lisa Maiden and Wesley Johnson. All of the library staff, if you can hear me, and the library board, you have made a place of inspiration and exploration. Thank you for all that you do. And to start out, just in case you all don't know who those folks are that, that really did all this setup here, made this possible, I just want to ask if you can give me a high five, Wesley and Lisa. Anyone else here that is an employee of the library that's in the crowd, please do a high five too. That's a bang. Awesome. Good start. Now, because I'm here in my home community, and just so everybody knows who everybody is on some level, I have a few more high fives I want to do. So first of all, high five to my family for coming out tonight. Hey, hey mom and dad, high five. Mom. Yep, yep, yep. All right. So that's a little bit of a test there. How about a high five to anyone who is my friend? You may have known me since I was this small, or you may just know me now in the 45th orbit around the sun. Yeah, that's a good crowd. High five, thanks for coming. How about a high five to anyone who's been my teacher or my professor? Thanks for coming, high five. How about anyone who is also a global traveler. Bow. Bristow in the house. Awesome. Thank you all for coming out. How about everyone here who is a social worker or studying to be a social worker? High five. Thanks for coming out. And how about anybody that I have yet to meet that I don't know yet? Thanks for coming out. We appreciate you being here. Thanks for coming to support the library. I'd also want to say thanks to those who are here in spirit that I have met along my journeys. Some of their stories I will share with you, and I offer this presentation in their honor. Okay. I'm going to have to remember to do this. All right. Everyone has a story to tell. All of you. Everyone in this building, everyone, everywhere has a story to tell. And I hope that 
this may encourage you to tell more of your stories too. For those of you who don't know me or don't know my background even if you know me, I want to tell you a little bit about my story. I was raised here in Orangeboro, Kentucky, and I returned a few years ago after being away for two decades. Before I left town, I completed a bachelor's in social work just down the street at Brescia University, and I picked up both a master's and doctorate in social work while I was away. So all of my degrees are social work. It's like social work from top to bottom. And much of my professional and academic work, I'm just gonna have to hold this up, has had an international focus, and even, just to show you how nerdy I can get, my doctoral dissertation was on the impacts of globalization on social work, higher education in the US, Russia, China, and Germany. I mean, why not do it all if you're gonna do it? I now teach at Brescia University with a wonderful team of social workers, and I bring my global experience into the classroom when I can. All right, making this big. It's gonna make my fingers work. Okay. So I hope that everyone can see some semblance of this collage, because I wanna talk a little bit about social work. And for those of you who don't know, or haven't thought of it this way, social work is a calling. It is, I have found this to be true around the world, that we meet people where they are, which can be an actual location, like here in the library. Some libraries do hire social workers. But in many respects, it's about meeting them at the crossroads of their traumas, be it physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, or even environmental. We accept their vulnerabilities, their intersectionalities, and their resiliencies. It's a profession based on the values of social justice, human rights, and caritas. We are advocates, we are allies, and I think we are pretty awesome. But social work is not easy, even though it's soulful. It'll impact you to your soul. And these are examples of groups I have seen social workers work with around the world. And I just wanna provide you some highlights here. Down here in the corner is from an orphanage in Rwanda. And see the young people are making some clay objects here. Up here in the corner was a women's empowerment group in Bangladesh. And they call these self-help groups, which is so interesting as an American because self-help groups seem therapeutic in nature to us. But for them, it's about financial literacy and financial empowerment. And these women pull all their money together to purchase bricks for their community center, for their school, whatever they decide as a group. Here is a gentleman who is elderly, a program that we visited in Russia. And the really interesting thing about this project is that they have the, the elderly and the children living just across a pathway from each other. And so the children in an orphanage and the elderly in this home can interact with each other on a daily basis. Up here, this is a migrant a rural migrant coming to the city in China, and that's also where the social workers provide them services to help them adjust to their new setting. And over here, you can see me getting some love, giving some love to Odalis, and she is the president of the National Association of Social Workers in Cuba. 
Now, there are lots of stories I could tell you about each one of these pictures, but they are actually not where we're traveling to tonight. But I wanted to share with you, and I could share you so much more. I have little notes here. Domestic violence services in Belize, Habitat for Humanity in Jordan, homeless shelters in Italy, restorative justice initiatives in Costa Rica, community development in Israel, human trafficking in Hungary, substance abuse halfway houses in Ghana, residential therapy for children in Germany. It gets to be a tongue twister. Social work is a global profession. Now, since we're getting a little teaser about travel, and in honor of the title of the presentation, these are pages from my passport. And I know some of these may be a little hard to see in the back, uh, so I'm going to just point out a few things here. You can see a lot of these stamps like this, and particularly if you, if you hadn't had any travel out of the country, these are those rubber stamps that you get at Customs and Border Patrol, where they stamp you along the way, and they can be a really cool way to remember where you've been, because some of us need some help remembering where we've been. And so I can see some here from Belize. I've got one here in South Africa, Ghana. There's a big one from Ghana on the visa there. Some from India. I see Ecuador right here, uh, Japan. So there's all these different ways to, to document your experience and remember if they stamped them well enough for you to see. And if you're lucky, you can also see the dates, which is also helpful for the memory, particularly when you're putting together a presentation about your travels. One of the other fascinating things and fun things in looking at passports are your visas, which is your permission to come in and out of the country. Uh, members of the U.S. often need to apply for permission to go in another country. It's going to cost you some money, it may take some time, and it may be refused. But you get to apply and find out. So in the, up here, you can see one from Ghana in the corner. It takes about a whole page. So sometimes they take up a lot of space in your passport. Here's one from Russia that takes up a whole page. Here's the one from India. And you can get them for a few days, for a few weeks, for a few years. The one from India is for 10 years. And if you could see right here, it says until 2021. So I guess I need to get myself to back to India. I can't let that expire without better use. One of the, the cool things, too, is all the variation here. About a quarter page is a sticker from getting in and out of Japan in Narita. And then one, I only have one of these, which I think is really awesome. Right up here in the corner is a Lick'em Stick'em old-style stamp from the Kingdom of Jordan. Now, they put some tape over it so I wouldn't accidentally knock it off. But if you haven't looked at your own pages from your passports, lately. I encourage you to check it out and see where it takes you for memories. If you don't have them, it gives you some things to look forward to. If you have traveled a lot, your passport will get so full, you have to get extra pages sewn in. It's happened. But they expire. And when they expire, you have to start all over again. You get a new passport. You look a little older. All of that happens. So, okay. So you might be wondering, how many countries has she actually been to? And there are a few. There are a few. Um, I had to admit I had to do the count to remind myself. One thing I want to point out is that almost all of these are for work or study research. There's a handful 
that are for my personal travels, weddings, family, uh, random voyages. Uh, so there, there are a few of those, but I do want to emphasize that this is really a portrayal of my work over the years since I was 15 years old. And, and in some respects, this may look like a lot, but it's not a lot in comparison to other folks who travel. Is there anyone in this room who has traveled to more than 28? If you look around, there's a couple of hands and a higher, a little higher. Uh-huh. So you can see, I might, I might not have all that much. How many have you been to? Uh-huh, you got to think. Okay, okay, we'll throw a couple more dozen on you. Okay, who else? Rita, how many have you been to? 52. Anybody else more than 52? If only you could see some of the faces. We're like, whoa. Okay, if you need some advice on travel, remember where she's sitting. But as you can see, there's a lot of travel that goes on, but I think one of the most important things to remember is that it's not a competition, which is a good thing, because air travel creates a, a very significant carbon footprint. So always remember that. I've, I've done more, more, way more than enough. And you don't have to travel anywhere to be a global citizen, to care about what's happening in the world. And in many countries where I've been, and they were part of my dissertation research, which was over 10 years ago, those who hadn't traveled as much were actually more concerned, which I thought was very revealing about our assumptions that sometimes travel makes you more global. It's all gonna be unique to an individual, but not to expect it or have any expectations for that. Another thing I would say it's important to remember that travel is a privilege and it's also a responsibility. It's a responsibility to let me pull this back up. Not just be prepared and how it will impact you, but how it will impact every person and place you will encounter. All of my travel is influenced by who I am, by what I represent, by what I bring to the table. Or ring on the plane. It's another way to think about it. As Elaine, as Dr. Wright, as an American from the USA as an American from Owensboro, Kentucky. And yes, I do brag about our sassafras tree, our bourbon, our bluegrass, even though I'm a vegetarian, and uh, all those, and a barbecue was the vegetarian part, obviously, um, for that. I really love talking about the sassafras tree, I have to admit, though. Um, and another note is, what you will see tonight are my experiences. You cannot generalize them to the country, or the people that might be represented here. However, this presentation is a snapshot of what life is like traveling around the world as a social worker, a snapshot of the amazing programs I was able to witness and work with, and a snapshot is all it is, but I hope it's an inspiration. I have selected three countries on three different continents, with experience that have been most impactful on me as a social worker and as a human being. One story involves my work as a social worker, as a social work student at first and then as a professional. Another experience is when I was teaching a study abroad course in social work. And the final one is when I was consulting on partnerships between organizations and universities. 
So let's start traveling. And our first stop is here in Northern Ireland. Now let me explain a little bit about Northern Ireland in case you're unfamiliar with it. So this is the United Kingdom that's represented here. And this is the island that has a very large Ireland. Island, Ireland, my accent makes things sound very similar sometimes. But up here, if you squint a little, particularly if you're in the back, it says Northern Ireland. There are two countries on this island, and not everybody knows that. Not everybody's familiar with that. And it's very important to know that, particularly when you're there. Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom, which means it's under British rule with England, Scotland, and Wales. It was created in the early 1920s when the Republic of Ireland wanted to separate from Britain. They wanted to be independent and to have their own rule. And you think about that, that's just almost 100 years ago. There are about 2 million people that live in that little section of the island, and that's about a third of the population on the island. One cool thing about the island, you're never more than 70 miles away from the sea. Just important note. Now, a little context to the work that I did there. From the 1960s until about 1998, which was the time frame I was there, there were decades of violence called the Troubles. And some of us, you know, remember hearing about that. And that was a conflict between the British, excuse me, the Protestant Unionist, who identified with the British, and the Catholic Nationalist, who actually wanted a unified Ireland. Separation is good too, but a unified Ireland and independent from Britain. There were over 3,000 people that were killed during the Troubles during those 30 plus years. There were over 50,000 people that were hurt, and there were over 15,000 actual or attempted bombs. 15,000 actual or attempted. And I experienced a bomb threat when I was there. Maybe not me personally, but they were ongoing. This was towards the end, they were less frequent, but they were still happening when I was there doing some work. And a lot, they typically called them in at this point so people could evacuate. It's a political message in many ways, caused damage, but to allow people to get out of the way. And they had called it in on the train tracks that we were on. So once we got the message, we got off the train and figured out some other transportation. And the bomb never went off. However, at the same time, they had called in a bomb threat to the city of Dundalk. And that bomb went off. And it caused a million dollars worth of damage. I remember at the time, the idea of bombings was just not within our psyche here in the US in the same way, or that time, or in my age. So remember, this is all reflective of me at the time in my mid-20s. And bombing may not be an issue there these days, but the fear of violence, whether or not it's actual, is still very prevalent in many of those communities. Now, to talk about some highlights with Northern Ireland, it is one of my favorite places in the world. It is one of my favorite UNESCO World Heritage Sites, and it's called the Giant's Causeway. Anybody here that's been to the Giant's Causeway? Fumi has been to the Giant's Causeway. So you know what I'm talking about, that it's incredible. It's caused by volcanic activity from 50 million years ago, and it is a stone formation like nowhere else in the world. And I'm not just saying that because I saw it. It is written, it is published, nowhere else in the world. 
and it's mythical. It looks like these huge stones for a giant to walk on out into the ocean, or maybe coming back onto the land. And while you're there, I strongly encourage you to go. You can take a ferry to Rathlin Island. You can say hi to the ferryman. He's a local poet. You can buy his books. He's great. His daughter used to live in Seattle. You get to know people when you travel. It's a beautiful bird sanctuary like none other as well. I have to admit, I've encountered many people who will not travel to Northern Ireland because of the reputation from the past. But I strongly encourage you to do so. It is an amazing place, and you don't want to miss out on things you can't see anywhere else in the world. Okay. So a little bit about the work that we did. And first of all, I just had to make a note that this picture, the Davis County Public Library logo, and all of the maps from geology.com are not mine, but every other picture is. And this picture is to show you, and if you can't see it very well, just imagine a wall. This wall goes all the way through the city, and it goes through a couple of cities, and it's about 21 miles long. And it's called the Peace Wall, or the Peace Lines, and they are to separate the Catholic and the Protestant neighborhoods. They're pretty serious about the separation. They are typically in poor neighborhoods. They are sometimes up to 18 feet tall and covered with barbed wire. You don't mess with the wall. A few, a very few areas have been removed. That's only most recently. And I found a study saying over two-thirds of the residents in those areas believe they are still necessary due to the potential of violence. And if you live through that much violence, it's going to take generations to get over that trauma. It's also a good reminder, either literally or figuratively, if you build a wall, it's hard to take it down. for the work that I did. So this is a shiny, happy faces, people. It's a little faded. I don't know if you can recognize me. I'm still wearing the same scarf. But I'm over here in the corner with my overalls, because I wore them all the time back then, with the short hair, which is another indicator of how long ago it was. And at that time, I worked with youth from Ireland and Northern Ireland, who were Protestant and Catholic, on peace and reconciliation between them as individuals and with the hope that what they have learned they can take back to their communities to help transform them. We did programming in their home communities over there, but a big part of what we did is we brought them over here to the US so they could work on a neutral territory. And we also, you know, social workers, we have multiple agendas going on, worked on peace and reconciliation, but we also did job skills training with them so most of them were at-risk youth, was the terminology used. And it was assumed that if they could have job experience here in the US, it could help guarantee that they could get a job back in home. And overall, it worked. This program was called Wider Horizons. It was part of an internship the first time I did it as part of my master's program at the University of Louisville Kent School of Social Work and with the YMCA of Greater Louisville. 
After I finished my degree, I went on and ran the program again. These folks in this picture, they're the first group that we had. We are still in touch. We have a Facebook page. We all send pictures of what's going on in our lives. But the work in their communities is going to take some generations. At another point in this time period, so in the late 90s, 20-something years ago, I lived in Belfast in Northern Ireland for a couple of months. And I helped with a crisis intervention program that was started by the YMCA Safe Place Services. Now, I don't know if you all have recently seen, I was trying to think, I don't know that, looked for one here in town, but Safe Place Services, you might have seen the signs on the side, uh, Taryn's like, yep, okay, good. Then we have some around here. On the signs of gas stations or other places, there might be one here where the yellow sign, where it looks like somebody's hugging someone. So that's from Safe Place Services. It was started in Louisville, Kentucky, and one of my mentors had started that program. And it's become an international phenomena. And part of what we were doing is doing Safe Place Services there in Northern Ireland by doing a crisis intervention line uh, where it's more like a crisis line. Be like a 1-800, though it's not a 1-800 there. And I have to tell you that doing this project really impacted me so in the sense of being able to see where people are and the impact of the troubles on their daily lives. So this woman, Allison and I, Allison is Protestant, that's important to know in this story, would go to different community centers on either side of the wall and talk to them about these services that the YMCA had. Uh, and we do a little song and dance with them. We, they'd really take advantage of mine being American because most of the kids had never met an American. And they'd all say, are you from Texas? And I was like, no, I'm not from Texas. But it probably had to do with some TV show that they were watching at the time. Um, and more so just because as we all know, those accents are very different um, in some ways. But it was really kind of one of those unique aspects. So one of the things that happened with me and Allison is that we were going to a Catholic neighborhood to do the presentation that we always do. And we couldn't find that community center. We're driving around, we're driving around, there's nobody out, not sure what's going on. And typically, Allison had said she had no concerns at any of the work that we had done. And she's a believer in the work we're gonna do. She's gonna do it regardless. And we are driving around and there's nothing. And then we see this guy walking down the street. He's wearing a tracksuit. I remember the time frame, those were popular back then. And she looks at me and she says, I will not talk while we're here. Remember that there's a, there's a wall through these neighborhoods. So these neighborhoods are either like 90% Catholic or 90% Protestant, particularly at that time. And if you are that dense in population, you may have a very specific accent to your neighborhood. And you did during we were there. And she knew that people in this Catholic community would know she's Protestant. And it really revealed itself that at any other moment, it was happy-go-lucky for her. But in this moment, she felt threatened. And I said, we don't have to do this. We do not have to do this. It's OK. She's like, no, we have to. It might help one of these kids. So we drove up to the guy. I rolled down the window. We knew the American accent was going to work. And, or we hoped it would. I put on a big smile. 
I'm just like, hey, we're here in this neighborhood. We're looking for the community center. Can you help us out? We're with the YMCA. How you doing today? I don't typically say howdy, so I did not use that. Um, and he looks at me. He looks at Allison. He looks down the road. Looks down the other side of the road. He looks back at me. He's not smiling. And he says, I know who you are. And I know why you're here. And if you want to do this, you're going to get out of your car and I'm gonna walk you to the center. And when you're done, I'm gonna walk you back and you're gonna leave. If you're not from here, you're not supposed to be here. As you may have noticed, we took our street signs down. I'm pretty serious about it. So I look over at Allison, giving her a chance to bail. She's already out of the car. She's like, we're doing this. She's not saying that, but she's, she's saying that in her head. So we go, we do our spiel, the kids have a great time, we have a great time, but we know what's gonna happen next. So we walk back to our car and we drive out of the neighborhood. Working with this Wider Horizons group with the YMCA Crisis Intervention Program through Safe Place Services, there's so many more stories that I can tell from those experiences, but they really demonstrated to me the power of social work and of meeting people where they are, personally and politically. And we're gonna go to another country, but I'm gonna get a glass of water for a sip of water. I'm a big fan of mountain barley water. So I promised you we go to three continents, and we're now we're moving to our second one. We're in the continent of Africa, and where we are going is South Africa, this country right down here. This country has 55 million people. So remember, we were just in 2 million. Now we're 55 million, and it's called the Rainbow Nation because of its range of ethnic groups and cultures. And as an example, it has 13 national languages which does not represent at all the number of languages that are there. But 13 national is where they are. And actually they might be, I think they were gonna add another at some point recently. You all may be familiar with South Africa and its recovery from 50 years of apartheid, which was a structure of racial segregation that had been in place, as I said, for 50 years and it ended in 1994. And from my experience, it's definitely still in recovery from that. I had to also tell you, it is one of the most beautiful countries I have ever visited. And I've been to a few, you all remember that, I've been to a few. It is stunning in its landscapes and its amazing, rich cultures. I would highly recommend it as a travel destination. One of the things that has always impacted me about South America, South America, South Africa, we're not going to South America tonight, I'm sorry. But it's the fact that they have over 7 million people infected with HIV AIDS. Over, 30, over 3 million people have died, and that's just a bare estimate. And the new HIV infections are decreasing, but it still has, and it consistently has, the largest population of HIV infections in the world. I look at you, Amy, because I was thinking, you might have some other stats on that too. Yeah, 
So 20% of the global population is the recent stats I had. If you want to get even nerdier about it, you can check out with Dr. Campisi right here. When that much life is on the line, there's no room for subtlety. And for those who can't see this billboard in the back that was put up by the Lawnman Platinum Corporation, so this is put up by a mining company. This is not social services. This is a mining company. It says, love carefully, take precautions, practice safe sex, wear a condom. One of the other cool things about um, being in South Africa and meeting with the social workers was this really amazing program that I'm just going to tell you just briefly about uh, practice with individuals with HIV AIDS was in hospice programs. And just the idea of these hospice programs that they had in prisons. And so prisons, people with HIV AIDS, hospice services, they were training the prisoners to provide hospice for each other. And they had some really great programs. Those programs are also here in the US. But they're, they're not as popular for all the reasons why in the prison system. But they are powerful. And maybe they're an inspiration to check out some of the work that's done. OK. But I really wanted to take you to Bloemfontein, which is the seventh largest city in South Africa. It has over 500,000 residents. And where we are right now is in Bato. Bato is a neighborhood of 20,000 people. It is a historic black township. It is the oldest black township in that city. It is created or was created by segregationist policies in the early 20th century, so about 100 years ago. And it is the birthplace of the African National Congress, the ANC, which is the current ruling party it is also, if it, just thinking if you're like, that sounds familiar, it was previously led by Nelson Mandela. He is not from this neighborhood, though. Bato is poor economically, but it is rich in spirit. And I just want to point out a few things, and I'll describe it if you can't see it. So, which I'm, I'm sure you can't <laughs> at this point. But there's a red structure that's about this big right here. So you can see a dog. And you can see a structure. It's one of the oldest brick structures. It's not very stable. And then you can start to see, and it's very small, you can start to see they get a little bit bigger, a little concrete structure here. And then you see a more modern brick, more modern win windows that are there. And then over here, there's a shelter or some structure of some sort that is made of metal scraps, like you would see more in a settlement area, uh, if you might. Think of Kailicha or Soweto, which have over millions of people that live in structures just like that. The other thing you might notice is that it's all dirt. And it's been like that. I saw very few gardens. It's not easy to grow anything there. And as I said, it's the oldest. It's the largest. It's been there for quite a while. 20,000 people live there. And this is, this is kind of the, the common structure there. So one of the things that I really was impressed with were the programs that the social workers were doing called community development. And so what they were doing is they were using the residents in the community, and you can see them, these little angels in the sky, and I have some of my students there with them too. 
but the social workers were teaching these local residents that had not gone to college or had very little training. So it's a train-to-trainer program, and they were training them to work in their communities to help with the social workers uh, and just to be able to give to their community. And what they would do is they would train them to visit the neighborhoods, to check in on people, to assess their well-being, to encourage them to take advantage of social services, go to the community groups, social clubs, all of those things like that. And they had a unique way to engage people that incorporated cultural traditions of song and dance. So I wanted to ask if I could have a few volunteers. They could be my students, they could be my colleagues, they could be my friends. I won't put my family on the spot. Um, but if I could just have a few people that would come up here and help me out. Well, the actor, of course, Tony Dingman, drove all the way from Louisville. He talked, that's very special friends. Bring him out. Came all the way from Bowling Green. Special friends. Uh, anyone else? Let's have just like one or two more. It'll help. I see it. I see it. I see it. Libby's, Libby's ready for some action. Came from Orangeboro, Kentucky. Okay, we'll start out, we'll start out. Okay, no, 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 I've got the cord. I don't want to trip anybody else. Okay, so let's just have a little, little groove in our heart, a little four, four time, a little weaving. And actually, because my hands are full, we would actually normally be kind of, kind of like that. So if y'all don't mind doing that, I'm doing it with you, so don't worry. Okay, so just imagine these social workers, social care workers, coming, coming into your community like this. They're a group, they got a smile on their face, they are happy to be there. <laughs> and they're singing. So, uh -oh. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna make this easy on you. It's gonna be in English first, okay? And I'm gonna make the call, and you're just gonna repeat it back. You're gonna have the response, okay? And I'm going to probably hold the mic like this. <laughs> we are social care workers. We, we are social, social care workers. We work in the community. We, we work, work in, in the, the community. community. So that's not pretty easy, right? So they're kind of on the spot. So would you all sing along with them? I'll make the call. You make the response. I tell you, it'll make a difference. Yes. You, can get, you can get down. Okay. Okay. However you're feeling that groove, you don't think about it. Okay. It's okay. for a good cause. It is absolutely yeah. for a good cause. For a good cause. You remember that. We are social care workers. We are social care workers. We work in the community. We work in the community. We are social care workers. We are social care workers. We are here to help you. We are here to help you. Come on out and meet us. Come on out and meet us. Or we'll come to you. Or we'll come to you. Yeah, give them a round of applause. Woohoo! So imagine. If that's how social workers engaged in communities here, imagine if that's how any of us or all of us engaged here. Imagine, this is a powerful way to meet people where they are 
in their neighborhoods. And there's a couple of my neighbors who are not here tonight that couldn't make it, and I could just see them rolling their eyes right now. I'm going, oh my God, Elaine's going to start walking the neighborhood, singing and dancing. Maybe we'll all do it. Okay. Let's go to India. India. As you can tell, we're getting bigger, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. It's the seventh largest country by area in the world. It has more than 1.3 billion people. There are lots of you know, different stats around it, but let's just stick with that. It is also the largest number of people in the world living below the international poverty line of a dollar and 25 cents, US dollars. Could you live on a buck 25? So the students in my MSW 600 class, The Intersection of Poverty, Human Rights, and Caritas, read a book called $2 a Day, Living on Almost Nothing in America. And they have an exercise where they can choose to complete a human rights immersion-related activity or a human rights interview. And many of them choose to do the $2 a day. Let's see what that really feels like. And they often will do it for a week. Sometimes they'll get all their family to do it. And they realize it's a lot of work. A lot of, maybe not, both literally and figuratively. And many, none of them choose to continue it. And none of them say it's easy to do. I also have several students who do not choose that activity. They have lived in extreme poverty in their lives. And they would not choose to do it again. They choose a different activity. Poverty is difficult. Now I want to talk just a little bit about India in terms of travel for me. It is an ancient country. It is over 4,500 years old. And for those of you who know me, it is my home away from home. And it's going to happen again. I cry sometimes because I miss it so much. And I strongly recommend that you visit India every chance you get. So the last story I have for you tonight, that's a full story, is of Gotama. And this is Gotama here with her grandson. Gotama and her grandson live in Mumbai, it, which is the post-colonialist name for Bombay, if that's more familiar to you. And I met her when I was consulting with an NGO that she works with called Apnaya. What you see next to her is a garbage dump. I just want to give you a little perspective as I tell you about the garbage dump. This is a man, and way up there, that little bit of a larger white dot is also a, a man. This garbage dump in Mumbai, which is not the only one, is one of the world's largest world's largest. It is, in some places, over nine stories tall. We're on the second story of the library. Nine stories tall. It is toxic, and it floods during the monsoons. So if you're near it, you're going to feel it. Gotama lives next to it, as close as those glass doors are right there from where I'm standing, if not closer. 
And it is estimated about a million people live on it. It's a big dump. A lot of people live on it. Gautama and I don't speak the same language, but we developed a really quick bond as we were touring the neighborhoods served by her organization. We were hand in hand, having the best time. As I was leaving, she insisted that I come to her home. So she grabbed me and we ran off, because that's what you do in a spontaneous moment. No, no interpreters with us. And what you see her here is her home. It's actually not much larger than exactly what you see, just maybe a little bit that way and a little further up. And to get there, I had to jump from ledge to ledge on the other house frames. It's a densely packed community that's there where she lives. It's very narrow. And in between each of the houses was pretty much just a gutter. So you can imagine perhaps some of the things that might have been in the gutter living next to the dump and when things are really packed close. But I can tell you once I got inside, her house was immaculate. It was sparkling, it was immaculate, it was a proud place to be in. Earlier that day, I was told that she and the other people that live in her neighborhood live on limited income, as you could possibly imagine, and that a third of her income goes to water. And that's drinking water, that's cleaning water, that's whatever water is used for. A third of her income. She has no running water, and to get water, she has to buy it at exorbitant rates from a water seller who would bring it nearby, or she has to walk a distance, quite a distance, and has to carry it back. So when I was at her house, and at least one person in this room knows this story, she poured me a glass of water. She made, we didn't have anybody who could speak our language, and she made the gesture for purifying drops, and she offered it to me. I can get you some water. Now, anywhere we are in the world, you have to practice water caution. You have to do it right here. But I want you to think about where she lives and also that cost of water for her. Would you drink the water? Yes, yes, yes. Well, usually when I present this story, there's a range of opinions about this and they're all very valid. There are good reasons for it, wherever you are. I have a colleague here who's like, I don't understand why you're drinking tap water, Lane. Um, And I was like, oh, well, I should tell you some stories. But I did drink the water. And relatively, it was probably the most expensive water I've ever consumed and ever will. Gotama was delighted. I was fine. Uh, this story, as I said, came about because of some work I was doing. But mostly, I want you to remember that water is precious. It is absolutely precious. Don't take it for granted. And I would not have had this experience or this opportunity to share it with you if I had not been a social worker, a traveling the world social worker, with a willingness to meet people where they are. So. Part of it was a promise to give you some tips. So I have some tips for you, travel tips.
life tips, whatever. But you can tell they kind of look like New Year's resolutions a little bit, a little short form, be prepared, be present. Uh, the last one's a little different. Um, first and foremost, travel is a privilege and a responsibility. Never forget that. Travel, be prepared. Don't ever, if you can help it, be a burden for others when you're traveling. Sometimes when we need help, it gives someone a chance to help. So there are some good things for that, so don't ever not accept it when you need it. But do what you can to not be a burden. When you're a guest in a country, it's not always about you. Uh, it's a learning opportunity, and there's so many ways to prepare yourself to make the most of the experience. One of the ways is, of course, packing. And anyone who's a traveler will say less is more, less is more, less is more. It depends on where you're traveling, what you might need to take, and all the reasons why. I have a handout that I give to my colleagues and students that has over 70 different tips for travel. What to carry, what to buy, how to carry, what to put on a, a, in a, like an electronic security, all the different things you might want to consider and think about when you travel uh, for that. So there's a ton of information out there. Don't be shy, ask, even if you're a well traveler, keep talking about it, because there's so much you can learn and be like, oh, that's a really great idea. I hadn't thought about that, I'm gonna try it. If you wear glasses, bring an extra pair if you can. <laughs> it's one of the ones to remind yourself of. Uh, if you forget something, I'm sure anyone in here who travels, even if you haven't, you'll find something else or you'll learn to live without. You know, make your choices. The other thing about being prepared is language that I think is always so important and it's so doable. You don't have to be an expert or fluent, but you can know some basics and it will make, it will totally transform your trip or your interactions, or even walking around some of the neighborhoods here. Being fluent in many languages is helpful, or even a little bit. It makes your life easier, it absolutely shows respect, and it's about learning another culture. There's so much that you learn when you learn a language. So I, I strongly encourage and recommend learn the basics every time. Have your cheat sheets. Don't always uh, count on your phones because batteries go out, Wi-Fi goes away. Be prepared in multiple ways. Be present. I can't tell you how many times I've had students or colleagues that have one foot in the US and one foot in whatever country they're in. And it doesn't work. Now there are emergencies or there are reasons that you keep your tabs, but give yourself to your travel. Give yourself to your trip. I have learned too many times that on these trips that you've seen, I've been too work focused. I haven't taken a break and I've missed out on opportunities. I don't know when I'll be back in places. Don't miss an opportunity. One of my cab drivers in Jordan, he was the only cab driver I could find who didn't smoke. So he was gonna always be my cab driver and his, his email doesn't work anymore. But in case I ever have to go back, he said, Miss Elaine, or Dr. Wright, I'm not sure what he said, please take some more time. Learn about my country. Learn about my culture. Let me take you to Petra. Let me take, you need to experience the Dead Sea. He's like, you've told me when you depart. We can make it work. And we did, and it was a great time. Being present to me is also about your attitude. And this is an attitude that, that happens right here, wherever you are at any time. You know, when you travel, 
everything is fresh, the new, the flowers are so pretty, the food is so flavorful, everybody's interesting. I mean, you get tired and all those things, but like you allow it to be. Live each day as if you're traveling, wherever you are. Don't miss out. Be authentically present. Meet yourself wherever you are. So the, the most direct action here is send postcards. And I need to tell you a little bit about that. Postcards don't take up a lot of space, but they can hold a lot of memory. And whoever, wherever you send postcards to, send them to everybody that you can, when you can, if you can. But always send one to yourself. It is a gift for yourself that you will not regret. First couple of times of some of my travel, I would send postcards to all of my family uh, and friends, and I had this long list. I'm thinking about you, you got several at some point. <laughs> Family's gotten some, anybody else on the list. Uh, we can add you to the list uh, next time I travel. Um, but I realized that sometimes I wasn't getting them. I didn't know when they got them. So I was kind of like, I wonder if those postcards showed up. And the other time is I would look enviously at their postcards. I was like, that's so cool, it has a stamp, it has a postage stamp, it has a little story. I wish I remembered that. Oh. So I started sending myself postcards, and I've never regretted it. And they are such documentation, this ephemera of my trips. And I strongly recommend that you consider that it's okay to put yourself first if it's just a postcard. The other thing that I like to collect too, since we're talking about travel, just a few from my perspective, there's a couple of cookbooks over there. Being a vegetarian, it's always so rare to find those, so it's always fun to find. You can find so many things online, but it's fun to have that. And I also always pick up children's books. I like to give them as gifts, but I figured I can figure out the language if it's a children's book. It tells you stories about culture, but they're often multilingual. And sometimes you learn things you didn't know. There's a book there from Ecuador and it has four languages. It has Quechua, which is a native language, it has Spanish, it has English, and it has German. And I was like, why German? And it gave me a chance to learn more about the history of this country, the Germans who had come over after World Wars, and the communities that were set up for that. But it was popular enough, so you never know what you might discover when you look around. Obviously, I, I love fabric. This is a dress I had made in Ghana that is a, a, a bed cover from Bangladesh. I also love art. This is a beaded animal from South Africa. I did have to get an extra piece, extra, extra large piece of luggage to bring it back, but I have lots of them. I couldn't resist that time. And just for inspiration, here's a couple of the postcards or mail that I sent to myself. As I said, if it inspires you. A reminder of some images from the Taj Mahal in India, here in China, some of my writings that I had done when I was waxing prosaic. Here's uh, a phrase in, in Russian. Um, and sometimes I would have other people write me something and send it to me. And it'd be such a treasure, such a gift. Um, there's the stamps up there from China, South Africa, uh, India again. That's what, these are from Russia. And here from Germany and Munich, it says, 
Only Dick has Alice Doof. And if you pay attention, it has my cat's name on it. <laughs> and it says, without you, everything is stupid. It was a popular phrase going around there. I didn't make it up. So give yourself a gift of postcard. You don't even have to travel to do that. You could send yourself one tomorrow. Okay. Elaine Steps Part 2. You don't have to travel to get engaged. Bring the, make it your local global. Get engaged with groups right here in Orangeboro. If you're interested in learning more about global issues, participating in international travel, meeting with international visitors, helping with local immigrants and refugees, or inspired by my stories about social work, I can personally recommend each of these organizations as I have volunteered with them where I am a member. I paid my dues. Just taking a peek at somebody. Uh, and just, just a quick review for that, and actually, I want to point out, I have flyers for all of them right here. We are all represented right here. There are many of these people that are here. So please, if you have any questions, I have the International Center of uh, Kentucky, and they are here with how to update clients. They even have some information about what refugees have to go through. They have a brochure. They tell me that their greatest need right now is people to help with transportation. There are four people running that office. There are thousands of people that need some help here. You have to go through a vetting process, but they just need people to take people to doctor's appointments, lawyer appointment, any kind of appointment. You don't have to go to the appointment. They just need help getting there, and they need help getting home. This sounds really doable. They have a lot of other things going on, but you can grab some of that info right here. We have the Orangeboro Area World Affairs Council, and this is uh, advancing global understanding. We have events throughout the year. You can come show up. You like this, check out one of ours. For that, we have lots of distinguished speakers about global events. Come join us. Sister Cities, if you weren't aware, Orangeboro Sister Cities program. We have Sister Cities in Olamets, the Czech Republic. We have a <coughs> Czech Republic expert right there in the middle. We have some other Czech Republic travelers back there. Uh, we also have a sister city in Nishan, Japan. A lot of different ways to get involved. We have student exchanges. We have adult exchanges. We had their more, not the current, but previous mayor come visit. Well, we've got a lot going on. You just get in where you can fit in. So you can do that. We have a trip coming up. Uh, so you might be interested in some of that information. Come join the club. We also have Friendship Force International. We have the president of the Friendship Force International Orangeboro chapter here. So if you're really interested, we can make that happen. You want to travel. You want to be a part of hosting people when they come. You want to be a part of a great group of people. This might be your, your gig to hear too. You can travel all over the world. You can travel across the U.S. There is so much going on with each of these. I'm not even able to give you a real representative snapshot. The Maryland Younger Conley School of Social Work. Maryland's back there too. Thanks for coming out, Marilyn. And I tell you, if you're feeling social work at all, we'd be happy to help you make that happen or advise you or celebrate you. We're going to be celebrating our 25th anniversary of social work education this March, social work month. We've got a lot of activities going on. We've got some really cool stuff coming up. Love for you to come hang out with us. You don't have to be a social worker. Uh, but if you're interested in our degree programs, we have bachelor's and master's options on ground, online. 
come check us out. There's a whole bunch of social workers here in the house. We have a whole bunch of Brescia faculty here. Appreciate y'all coming out so we can get you some info. My business cards are here too. In case there are any questions I can help answer or corrections I need based on my presentation. I mean, how can you say no? How can you say no? And if I'm involved in all of that, you can get involved in at least one. Okay. Your final tip. When you see people running in the direction of this sign, you run with them. Okay? Always run. This, if you can't see in the back, is the image of an exploding volcano. If you can't read the local language, you can read the sign. And it says run. Now the, below it, it says avocado plantation. That has nothing to do with the top of the sign. <laughs> this is in Baños de Agua Santa in Ecuador, which is at the base of Tungaruja, a volcano. And we went there to check out this amazing disability rights program called Furorese, which is actually their acronym, and I can't remember the full name off the top of my head. They claim to be the most, they have claimed from their work that they've done in Baños de Agua Santa that it is the most disability-friendly city in all of South America. Now, there's a lot that still needs to be done, but they have that much spirit that community to make that happen in the best way they can where they are and their resources. Now, I do have to tell you something about Tungaruja. The day after we left, it started exploding and spewing ash. They had to evacuate. It is an active volcano. Remember the tip about being prepared? Think about where you're going and what could potentially happen. And you might want to pack so that you can carry your stuff in case you have to run. So just a little bit of language practice. Who knows what the top language is? Chinese, Shei Shei, thank you. What about the second one? Does anybody know Haitian Creole? Messi, Messi. What about the third one? Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Dankeschön. And what about the fourth one? Spanish. Gracias. What about the Cyrillic alphabet? Spasima. Yes. What about the next one? I had to do a little Bristow action in the house. Little mahalo. What about the next one? Shukran. It's Arabic. And what about that last one above the English one? Nagia Bonga, it is Key Rwanda. So as my parting words, I wanna thank you again. I won't make you all do high fives again, but for joining me on this journey, may you have safe travels, whether you travel the world, oops, or just the next time you walk out your front door.